Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Crossing Broadcast. Kevin's starting this one off because Kyle Pagan is at a bachelor party that apparently started on Thursday. Uh, so we'll see if we get him back in one piece uh, by the end of the weekend or if this will be the hangover part part three or part four, whatever uh, sequel to that movie we are currently on. I'm not flying solo, however. Let's bring him on. It's Anthony San Francisco joining us. <laughs> To talk Phillies and whatnot. Did you? Did the guy who was coming to do work on your house? Did he show up already? He's here doing doing the work right now. Okay. Well, if you have to get up and leave and talk to the contractor, <laughs> it's fine. I'll vamp and we will. Uh, we'll, we'll yeah, I'll shoot you a message if necessary. Yeah. But I also warned him that I had to do this. So, like, he was like all fascinated by it and started asking questions. Like, we might have picked up a new a uh, new listener. In the <laughs> I know. Process. I always end up handing. I'm like that doofus who ends up handing out my like business card, but I never go anywhere or do anything. So I only give it to like the guys who come to do something on the on the house like the comcast guy or the fios guy or like the guy who comes to look at the hvac so they're the ones who who uh, get the uh, business card or whatever we have a good show lined up for you today we have two guests not one but two we've got mitch jones from the philadelphia wings he's coming on at 12 45 uh special guest coming on he's going to join us right now uh there are probably only a half dozen people uh in the greater philadelphia maryland region who would say that they're fans of death metal and baseball one of them would be myself the other one would be albert mudrian from decibel magazine joining the program what's up albert how you doing man oh not much appreciate you guys having me on um i gotta tell you though real quick kevin you are currently the only member of this podcast crew right now that is not having work done on their house at the moment uh, yes. Yeah, so what, <laughs> what is good? Because you warned me before. You're like, if you hear like sawing or drilling or like excavating going on in the in the background, it may, it may be a noisy podcast between you and Anthony. What is what is going on at your place now? Oh, lots. Um, it's an addition and a renovation. Um, oh man, so it's significant. They haven't. They're still in the stage where they're building outside of the house. Yeah. They're not like they're not inside yet. Yeah. But they're coming. Okay. Be here way too soon. I don't, they're not coming today, but they're you'll hear them outside. And well, it's apropos. It's apropos because Albert uh, covers uh, noise, grindcore, death, death metal, every everything for his uh, magazine Decibel. Uh, he has been featured. I think I crossed my address off of there too, so nobody can see my address. Um, he's been on the site before. We did a Q and A with you. A couple of years ago, you've always been a, a massive baseball fan, and uh, it's, I've always found that to be interesting because there's, there's not, I mean, there's not a ton of crossover really in like our world of music now and and, and sport, right? Um, but it's funny because I ran into you, um, I guess at MDF mm-hmm. last year, right? And it was this was May, this was like the third week of May, and we were talking, and we're like the Phillies, uh, you know, okay, they went out, they got Cassianos, they got Schwarber. John Middleton seems to be throwing money at this thing. All right, we're like, in, we're intrigued, right? We were kind of keeping them at arm's length, maybe, I guess, if I remember that conversation correctly. But uh, like three weeks after you and I spoke, Joe Girardi got fired. Rob Thompson comes in. They go on this improbable run to the World Series. Um, I did not see any of that coming at all. Did you see any of that coming at all? No, nothing. Uh, in fact, like that particular weekend, that was Memorial Day weekend, um, and I believe it was the Sunday night, maybe it was either the Sunday or the Saturday night. That's the game that the, the Phillies had the seven to one lead in the ninth against the Mets and lost it. Um, so if anything, uh, I think coming out of, uh, our MDF meeting, 
there weren't any good vibes going forward. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we were like, they threw money, a lot of money at it. So we're intrigued. At least John Middleton's going for it. We didn't know if they were actually going to do anything. Um, we'll talk about kind of the season coming up. Let's actually back up and go kind of like in a chronological order here. World Baseball Classic. Did you watch it? And if so, did you enjoy it? I couldn't watch it just because I don't have cable. Um, but I did follow it on my phone. And I did listen to it on Sirius app. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I am quite happy where it is, too. I know that, like, so much of the conversation around it right now is from people, uh, you know, the idea that, oh, don't do this during spring training. Figure out a way to do this during the regular season. Um, You know, that kind of thing. And, And for me as a baseball fan, I love it right here, right where it is. Because, I mean... Anthony, you could probably speak to this. Yeah. Like the idea like of spring training and pitchers and catchers reporting mid-February, like that juice that starts there, you're feeling it for a couple weeks. And then by like end of the first week of March, you're like, can this please end? Can I stop looking at guys who have like not just like 87 on their uniform, but probably like triple digits on their uniform? <laughs> like, and this made baseball like – super exciting for me for at least two weeks in March that would not happen. Otherwise I absolutely, I I was, I was enthralled with it. My, my son who's um, eight and is a big Phillies fan was obviously invested in it with the team USA having three prominent fills in the lineup. So I, the whole experience was great. I, and you know, I'm not even, I'm not even remotely disappointed that the U S lost. In fact, I'm, thrilled for japan like they that means way more to japan than it does to the u.s so yeah yeah. and were you like you you were watching anything weren't you yeah no absolutely was watching it it's funny that uh, albert was was saying about the uh guys wearing triple digits i I was at one game in spring training this year where three players with the same number were on the field at the same time (laughs) (laughs) i was like this is this is where we've gotten to the point of like we don't need to see this part of baseball Mm -hmm. but you know i was i was absolutely watching it and he's right because now both my sons are, are big baseball fans and my kids are a little bit older right they're both in their 20s but my youngest son who still lives here at home with me I have the hardest time getting him to sit down and watch a game with me, right? I just, he's just, he's that, that age, he's 21. He's like, I don't want to be, you know, sitting down with dad, watching, watching a game. Championship game the other night, he's sitting right on my couch, right next to me. And we're talking about baseball the entire time. It was the best thing for the sport. The World Baseball Classic is a great thing for the sport in general. And the only slight change I would make, and I think this is the right time of year for it, the only slight change I would make is maybe push it ahead to the end of spring training mm. um, and, and kind of let it lead right into the start of the major league season. Maybe have a couple days, a few days in between, but lead right in. I think you'll get the pitchers a little bit further along, maybe be a little bit re- more ready to pitch and make can go go more than maybe 50 pitches uh, in, in a game. I think that would be the only slight change I would make, but it is right at the right time, and it's a good thing to have it. They're going to have it every three years for the next couple of years to get back on that four-year schedule. 
and then and then it'll be four after that. But it's the right thing at the right time, and it is great for the sport. I would just love. I think like Albert makes the point. Like you see how much they care about it in other countries. You know, just because like we're like major league guys over here, we don't want to see people get injured or whatever. Like, how can you not watch that and look at the spectacle of how much it means to Japan or yeah. Venezuela or Dominican Republic, anything like that? You know, that's what I think. I, and I want like. I want somebody like a like a Kershaw or like a Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola or something to watch what happened the other night and say, hey, I, like I want a piece of that. Like I want to yeah. get in on that and I want to partake the next time and I want to get this this trophy back, you know. So I hope that that's something that that, that comes from this for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because we uh, we were looking at it like last year if the Phillies just get into the playoffs, whatever, right? Because it had been it had been ten years or it felt like a, a million years since they they were in. And I'm like, I'll take whatever I can get for the site. You know, this would be good for for us. This would be good for whatever. Because you guys, are, Albert, you know, like Crossing Broad back in the day was like like really was a Phillies blog. Yep, like it was a glorified Phillies blog. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the like the site traffic of like the first two games when they're playing St. Louis, and I'm like, oh, this is good. This is this is cool. I'll take it. You know, didn't expect much. Then they keep winning and they keep winning and they keep winning. I'm looking at Google Analytics. I'm just looking at this thing that's going like this, man. And we had, I think I've said this on the show before, but Crossing Broad had its best year ever last year. And we had our best singular month last year during October. Mm -hmm. So it was all on the strength of the Phillies. So that that never like went away. I, I think Phillies fans were just like in hibernation because there wasn't anything much to like cheer for or to watch, but like, Albert, I guess I'm not like surprised by that because I know like how real it was from 2007 to 2012, and like it's it's I, I'm not surprised to see people come back to it. No, I, I mean you had even leading up to like 2007, those a lot of people seem to forget about the the Phillies teams really from about 2001 through 2006. Most of those teams like won 85, 86 games every year mm-hmm. and narrowly missed the playoffs, and you had like those were pretty good crowds. They had a pretty decent following back then. And obviously, you know, moving into Citizens Bank Park in, in 2004 contributed to that. But it, you had this you had this crescendo, I think. So seeing the way that happened during the, the glory years, um, it's different this time because you, you almost had like people getting teased for the past couple of years. Um, really, really that off season where they signed Harper and traded for uh real Muto. And I think signed McCutcheon that off season too. I think that was going into 2019. That's like, you saw people like start to pick up interest. And then for a couple of years, it being the same old Phillies, you saw it dive back down, but like, it was just like, just kind of waiting to erupt. It was there. Yeah. Like it was yeah. on the surface, man. Yeah. You could kind of like feel it. Even I, and I was in, in Philly at that time because I was away at college and I went down to Georgia for my first job and just following people from back home. I was like, hey, this thing's close to like exploding. You know, we saw that this year, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to the point where like expectations are probably, I don't know, what's like realistic in your mind? Like how, how do we look at this year and say, hey, we've got high expectations this year, but kind of like balance that out with like, okay, maybe we weren't expecting World Series last year i mean do we is it is it weird to say world series or bust or are we putting the cart in front of the horse there uh i think you just have to get in the playoffs honestly i i I think that that division is so stacked with the mets and the braves and honestly the marlins are going to be pain in the ass they just always are they always are Uh, the pitching is so good that it will it will give the phillies problems at times um but I, i really think that you I mean, the expectations, the bar of expectations is raised so high. There was some, 
uh, poll on the athletic where the question, the question that was asked of the readers was, do you expect the Phillies to make the world series within the next two years? And 75% of the people said yes, which is insane. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're a good, they're a good team. They should be contending for that window, that two-year window, they should be in the conversation for the playoffs. And once they get in the playoffs, they should be in the conversation for the World Series. But the idea of expecting them to replicate what they just did, that's a pretty uh, tall order. I, I think it's a very – compares, if we can do a cross-sport comparison for Philadelphia. This last year's run kind of reminds me of the Eagles back at the start – at the start of the 21st century when they went to that first NFC championship game and lost to the Rams. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. You, you kind of saw that that team was getting better. Andy had made the playoffs, right? And it was like, Oh, okay. All right. This will be, you know, we'll get there. And then all of a sudden they're in the NFC championship game, which nobody kind of expected. And that opened the window for the next three years, right? Eventually they get to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, there were a couple of horrible losses in between I was, I was about Tampa, to say, I love that Tampa and Carolina. I love that analogy. <laughs> I know it's coming. <laughs> but, but, but I think it's kind of the same. The Phillies are in that same spot, right? I think it's it's that here is that window. They got into it maybe a year before we thought they would or a year before we expected they would after the start they had last year. Mm. And now, now the expectation is that high. And I think that they, they have to try and live up to it. It's not to say that if they don't get there, it's a failure. If they miss the playoffs, that's a failure. Right. If they get into the playoffs and, and get bounced right away or, or get crushed in a series, okay, that's a major disappointment. Um, but if you get to the NLCS again, I think, I mean, it's, it's somewhat it's a successful season. could be disappointing that you don't get to the World Series and win it. But I think you're in that window where you can sit there and say, should they be you know, a team that has a real opportunity to get there and win a championship in the next three seasons? Yes, they should. Yeah. I, I think that's the difference. I'm, I'm sorry, Cameron. No, the difference between – fan expectations and player expectations. I'm sure if you asked everybody on that Phillies team, do you expect to get back to the World Series? The answer is yes, and it isn't lip service. They can, they truly mm-hmm. believe it because they know they can. But I think that from a fan perspective, if you're going into this thinking it's World Series or bust for this team, you potentially could waste an opportunity to really enjoy what should, again, be a, a really entertaining Philly season if it doesn't end in a parade on Broad Street, regardless, you know? Yeah. I want to ask you about a couple of music topics because that's where the crossover is. Obviously, um, you know, uh, dancing on my own is not going to be on the front cover of Decibel magazine at any point in the near future. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't think of Callum Scott or Robin as, uh, you know, death, death metal or grindcore uh, aficionados or whatever. But but you have a good pulse for all things music. And I'm curious of what you just like what you made of the whole song catching on and then kind of tailing off, because my observation was like everybody like got on this thing and it was like a rallying cry for the team. Mm-hmm. And and it kind of brought like the city together. But then like in the weeks and even like the months after the World Series ended, I got this kind of sense that people were coming around and being like, and eh, this song kind of sucks. Like I'm not, I don't really <laughs> like it. You know? And, yeah. like, and it, but it was it was like honest, but I like I get it because it was more like they weren't jumping on it because they thought it was like this amazing song. It was just like a it was it was like the the backdrop for the for the playoff run, I guess. It was it was something that I that I think that the fans could share directly with the players like that 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 shared experience yeah which you know i think back to 
the the run in like 2008 and even you know the subsequent playoff years after that it's really pre-social media explosion pre like every reporter with a camera phone in the locker room like there's so many hours of celebration footage of these guys after each <laughs> after each series win and like there's none of that in 2008 like you maybe get like in like the, the like you know the 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 season ending video dvd that you would get in 2008 maybe there's like 30 seconds of like footage of like ryan howard drinking champagne or something but like compared <laughs> to now like yeah. so like i think that there's so much you get to see so much more of what these guys are experiencing and get a clearer take on their personalities that I think that it was just kind of natural for fans to embrace what those guys were embracing. It's a way to sync up with them too. And when, and and in 2008, you, you weren't able to have like reporters go and find the, uh, the Spotify playlist for the clubhouse or whatever. And then like you download it on your phone or whatever. So they were deciphering all the stuff that was in there, which is cool. It made it like a tangible thing. Whereas like, or even like finding out the walk-up music, like even if JT Real Muto has the fucking Applebee's song, I got to hear the Applebee's song one more time. Like it, it was like this way to connect with the players that you never would before. So that's mm-hmm. what I saw with like dancing on my own. It was like, uh, I don't really like this song, but like, Hey, we're all, I feel like I'm like part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, uh, honestly, I think that that's what it was. And again, so much of that is just the, the, the change in the landscape mm-hmm. of, of media. I am like, I was trying to figure this out because, you know, that era, the championship era was a big deal for me. I was living in Philly. I was living and dying with Phillies. I went to every home playoff game in 2008. I saw it all. Like, you know, it meant the world to me. But I was way more emotional about this past run than I was, you know, 15 years ago. And maybe it's because I'm – 15 years closer to death. I don't know. Or I've got a, a, a kid who I'm seeing it through his eyes now too. But I really think so much of it has to do with this, you know, knowing some of feeling like you kind of know these players in a different way, like just because of the accessibility with social media mm-hmm. to them, you know, like they were, it, it's kind of like, it, it works on every level. It's like, you'll, you'll enjoy this. Uh, like I think about the uh, the Norwegian black metal scene of the early '90s, and how I would read about these guys who were burning churches and involved in murders and suicides, and it was this insane, mysterious world that was so far away that I couldn't grasp, and I had all these mythologies in my head about these guys. And you know, now the singer of Mayhem adds me on LinkedIn because (laughs) it's it's a different world and and that's like like you you would imagine like there were few like on-camera interviews with chase utley in 2008 you know or whoever whoever you want to talk about and like now you know i get to see garrett stubbs with like the budweiser box on his head after the the celebration i get to see you know yeah that was my photo by the way Was it really? Yes, it was. Yes. It was. It was my picture. Yes. Yeah, and that 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 brought me closer to that team. Yeah, and, yeah. Anthony, you know what I mean. We've been, and, and you and I have talked about that before. It's like it was back in the day. It was only like the reporters in the locker room, you know. So it's like whatever you got was was for you, and nobody had this access. Yeah, and and, and it's not it's not just that. I mean, when when you think back, I mean, I just got a an alert um, 
on, on Twitter that my Twitter anniversary um, <laughs> <laughs> that my Twitter anniversary just passed. I've been on Twitter for 14 years, right? 14 I'm, years. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> that I've been on Twitter, right? And I'm and you think about it, and these guys that are in this locker room, they were kids back then, right? I mean, I, I you know we have a hard time kind of picturing that, right? Albert, I mean, you know, as we're getting older, you know, we we, we kind of forget the fact that these guys who were watching. Uh, were little kids. And so this is the world they grew up in. So they don't really have that relation to the time when it was just, you know, the couple of interviews in the locker room and that's it. I mean, you know, some of the veteran guys maybe, but I mean, most of the younger players, they don't remember that. This is all they know. And so they are more willing to be uh, accessible through social media to a, to a fan base. But I, I also think that they're, the reason that we all felt a different connection to this group I mean, if you remember back in 2008, there was a real confidence around that team. Mm-hmm. And I think it translated. It all came through Jimmy Rollins, right? Team, team to, to beat, beat, right? That whole thing. So it was yeah. a real confidence that I think the city kind of absorbed. And it reminded me a lot of the confidence that the city had this year with the Eagles, right? I mean, I felt, felt like it was kind of the same thing. With the Phillies last year, there was never confidence at any point mm-hmm. that they were going to keep winning and keep winning and keep winning. Not until they were up 2-1 in the World Series did I ever sit there and go, this team could win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they didn't win another game. But, yeah. but, the, but it wasn't until that point where you ever even had the hint of confidence. So your emotional investment was, a, was born more out of a little bit more of, oh, I really hope they get it, but I don't think that they will. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit more of that anxiety. And that's what drove it. And that's why you were so connected. I think everybody was so connected to them, beside the fact that it was a great clubhouse, a really good group of guys, a good locker room. Um, but I think that's what drove that. Whereas back in 08, man, we kind of were like, yeah, nobody's beating us. Mm-hmm. We're going to win this thing. Right? And, that, and that was, I think that was the difference between the two. I, I think the, the, sorry, one more thing that, yeah. that makes that one more point that I'd want to make. And I feel like that this is, this just speaks to, the generation that's playing the game now versus the generation that was playing it last time the Phillies won the World Series. These guys show emotion. Mm-hmm. Like the, we're now in the era of baseball where you're allowed to show emotion. Back in 2008, if Reese Hoskins spikes his bat like that, he gets hit in the head the next time he comes to bat. Correct. And back when you watch this, you like they, they were just like – they were just machines. Chase Utley homers off Derek Lowe, puts his head down, runs around the bases. Like the most you're going to get out of that that 08 team was like maybe a fist pump around first base. There isn't anything, anything like what happens now. And I, I honestly think that stuff makes a huge difference because you just like the emotion. It, it works both ways. Like, mm-hmm. it, like you can you can take that in when it's coming out of the players, and, and obviously they they felt it back. Um, with the home games in, in Philly this year. But I do think that that, like, in terms of that emotional investment um, with the fan base, at least for me, I know I felt differently about that because none of that stuff felt or looked scripted in any way. It was all just pure, like, that Reese Hoskins bat spike is really, that's like, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's the stuff that took us to the moon, man. Cause I'm like, I'm looking, I'm watching these games. I'm like every single game that happens, there's like five viral moments that take me two seconds to put up on the website. I'm like, this is way too easy. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm missing something here. Like, where's the challenge in this? These guys are just like giving me so much material that it was like, wow, we should do this every year. So we're, so the moral of that story is we're going to lean 
very hard into baseball this year. We're going to ride that to the, to the very top. Hey, and you're still down. You go down to the Flyers games every so often. What do you, do they still play? Like, do you still hear like the occasional Megadeth song or like Pantera or something over the, over the Jumbotron? Once in a blue moon, they've really yeah. kind of gotten away from, from the, the heavier stuff. Um, it's again it's they're trying to appeal i think to a a younger poppier audience right now and i don't know if it's working but not um, really appealing to anybody at this point with well, the are, are the flyers no I would, I would always think that like because because when albert did the like q a thing with us like two years ago we were talking about that where it's like i don't albert you mentioned sean doolittle because yeah. he was like the one baseball guy that you could think of who like i guess you said he came out to like metallic ride the lightning era metallica or something like that but i can never re- there's just not a lot of crossover i think these days between like you know the four major sports and like heavy metal music back in the day you could hear like metallica well, or whatever like you know the slayer guys were always wearing like the oakland raiders jerseys or whatever let but me throw know. let me throw one at you kev that, that yeah. this was kind of just new i don't know if you saw this yeah. and this was great i mean absolutely great um you know, in, in women's college basketball, um, the, the higher seeds get to host the first two rounds. The number one seeds and the number two seeds get to host the first two rounds in their home building. Yeah. Um, so Virginia Tech was the number one seed in their bracket. Yeah. Um, but the NCAA has a rule that says even though they're the hosting it, it's not a home game for them. So they don't get to control you know the game presentation stuff and virginia tech has had a a thing that goes back i think to michael vick when when he was a football player where they would play enter sandman at at lane and every everything it's it's like a whole thing it's a virginia tech thing it's now going on for 23 years they told him they weren't allowed to play it the ncaa told them they weren't allowed to play it during virginia tech's games well the the virginia tech uh, student body was so upset about this that they instead did it acapella so they weren't couldn't play the music, but they sang the yeah. entire Enter Sandman song. And if you look at the video, and it's on Twitter, you can find it on YouTube. It's awesome. You have you know twenty thousand yeah. people singing the lyrics to the entire song of Enter Sandman together. That's and cool, I man. just thought it yeah. was awesome. Right? And I said that's going to be there. You go. There's always going to be that surface level thing, man. I mean, there's always going to be like the football player who likes Metallica or something. Or you you may go to the Flyers game, you may hear and catch like a stray Pantera song or something like that. But they're not. You're not hearing Morbid Angel at the Wells Fargo Center, you right? Know? And we and we wouldn't expect that, but. um I don't know. I guess it's just those, those Albert, you made an interesting point. I think when we were talking the last time where it's like, I, I don't, you don't like jock culture and, and, and music culture were did not like intertwine back in the day. Cause the thought yeah. was that like the people who were listening to like death metal or weren't like on the football team. No, they were getting beaten up by the football team. They're getting beaten up by the football team. Yeah. 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 It's just funny. I've always found that funny though. Um, okay. Real quick. One more baseball one. And then I got to introduce a project and then I'll let you go. Um, are you a pitch clock guy? Yes. Yes. You know why? Why? Because I want baseball games to end by nine o'clock during the summer so <laughs> I can do something else with my evenings occasionally. Um, yes, I am. I'm a big, big pitch clock guy. I think it in, you know, I'm a pitch clock guy until a, uh, a penalty ball or strike costs the Phillies a victory. <laughs> <laughs> which is inevitably going to happen at, at some point, probably, probably early, early too. Probably yeah. like early, they over enforce it, you know, yeah. just like any like rule change. And then they kind of like settle into it. After yeah, I, I think, I don't think it's a, a big deal. Ultimately it's like you, you have all the data from the triple a season that completed it. 
and it what there's like there's no uptick in injuries you know there you know there's nobody the game's got a half an hour shorter like i don't know what there isn't to love about it if you're if you're a baseball fan and the idea of the drama of like bryce harper doing his little ship shimmy and touching the dirt or whatever before every goddamn pitch no no i don't want that i really want to just move this along and i think the pitch clock is great for that um i mean there's other things like there's other rules that have been implemented that i don't love you know i don't love the ghost runner still that's going to be an issue for for a long time for me but um you know pitch clock pro pitch clock yeah, the ghost runner is the only thing I'm really out on. And you're anti pitch clock, though, right? It's not that I'm anti pitch clock. I, I I think that there can be a a tweak to it to make it better mm-hmm. that it fits. I think I think right now they're a little bit fast. I think that they're trying to speed up the game a little too much. Um, I think that there's the sweet spot is somewhere between where they were and where they are currently, and I think that they'll find it. And I think baseball is at least willing to to tweak and, 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 you know, study it and see how it's going and figure it out and make changes on the fly if they have to. Um, my, my problem is, is I think that the, the whole focus of this thing has been more about making the game shorter and not necessarily making the game have more action. I think that's what's got to come. That's what's got to be a benefit of this. And I think so if you're, if you're combining it with eliminating the shift, Right and get more guys on base and guys running. I think things like that maybe could be the what you know what you're ultimately hoping for. But if the if the game ends up being no different, if we're still playing the analytics game and guys are trying to hit home runs or walk or strike out and nothing else is really happening, the fact that you have a pitch clock in place is not going to make the game any more enjoyable. It's it's going to be just as frustrating it's about drawing the distinction between like making the game faster versus just more of the ball in play i i I agree that there needs to be fewer three true outcomes to uh to watching the game and honestly i think that if guys are actually getting to first base this season like you will see way more action on the base path and not just because of the larger bases i really think it's more that a the new rule where the pitcher can only throw over twice. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Come like, cause you know, you after, if he's thrown over twice, you know, you can just take off on the next pitch if you want. Yeah. And if you've, yeah. if you've got like Austin Nola back there, then, you know, you got second base. Like, yeah. There will be, um, that's a huge difference in the game. Um, but I, I agree. I, I think the elimination of the shift helps. I worry a little bit about some of the stuff I've seen in spring training with, uh, some teams trying to work around that by taking and out taking like the left fielder and moving them to the spot in right field where like the the shortstop normally would have been on a shift. Yeah. Like I don't like that because I still I mean yeah there'll be the occasional like triple down the left field line for some some left handed hitter who knows how to go the other way, but like. You they're know, gonna find they'll find workarounds, but I mean, it's they're right. everybody's gonna try to kind of fudge it and try to see what they can do within the margins and try to make it work, and then it, it'll kind of settle and we'll kind of get back. It's like when the NFL did the lowering the helmet thing a couple of years ago; they called that they threw a flag every five seconds, right. and they're like, "Okay, we're over officiating this." Or like the game kind of it's like Adam Smith and the Invisible Hand. It's like we're gonna guide it to something that's manageable here, and they'll kind of like 
come out on the back end and it'll they'll, they'll find they'll achieve the the end goal that they're looking for here but it's going to be like a rough patch for a little bit until they figure it out um okay last thing before i let you go out i'm trying to get craig if you have that you can pull it up i'm trying to get albert to release this album that i'm working on on uh decibel <laughs> records i think he's released you guys have released two albums so far yeah, we, we have, yeah, maybe, we this, have. maybe this will be the third this is my um actually if you have the front cover craig can you pull up the front cover there uh, this is my project called Worm Burner. Uh, it's a total ripoff because there's these guys who did a baseball. Yeah, this is it here. It's a Worm Burner uh, Philly special. And the the front cover is a totally metal picture of McNabb puking. I put it in like a black and white or whatever. This is the most brutal uh, cover I could think of here. It's a ripoff basically because like these guys, I think one of the guys in Thrice started a baseball grindcore band called Puig Destroyer. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like the greatest thing I've ever heard. My it's about sports. It's about death metal. Like I downloaded the thing and paid for it like immediately. So this was the front cover. Now, Craig, if you can go back to the track listing for me here. Um, I have 15, so actually 14 songs in a cover so far. I laid down the drum tracks and the samples, but I haven't done anything else. So we have, you want Philly Philly. Uh, we got big Dick Nick, some clown named Mike Lombardi. That's song <laughs> number three. Uh, we're paying homage to Andy Reid with Do a Better Job. We've got the title track, Worm Burner, at number five. Howard Eskin gets a shout with track number six, If You're Scared, Get a Dog. Then we got the Dallas Cowgirls. I actually finished the Skip Bayless interlude. It's just him complaining about how bad the Cowboys are over like a drum track. <laughs> then we got fourth and 26, the Double Doink, Emotional Intelligence. Uh, got a shout out, Jeffrey Lurie, on there. Number five, We'll Always Love You. Oh. Eli Manning face. We got a napalm death cover in there. You suffer. And then we're going to end it with another Andy Reed uh, times yours. It's a terrible, it's like, this could go one of two ways. Like I could finish and actually be like pretty good or it could be terrible, but there's no in between. It's a lot of Andy Reed sound drops. So he goes like, <clears throat> yeah, we, uh, you know, got to do a better job. <clears throat> and then it goes, you get into like a gravity blast or something. I'm like, this could be like a very, a very niche kind of thing, but it could work um, if I do it right. Albert, is there any chance that this uh, gets released on Decibel Record? I mean, if you can somehow tweak the vocals to just have and having them be Andy clearing his throat every song, <laughs> like that that's the <clears throat> like I think that could be a driving force. I think that'll work. What if there are no vocals at all, and it's just it's just blast beats and guitars, and that's just I drop Andy Reid sound bites over, it. like I sample Andy Reid press conferences where he says absolutely nothing interesting at all, and he's just blather. I mean, there could there could be uh, there could be something to this. All right, Craig, you can pull that down. I just wanted to introduce uh, the Worm Burner uh, project to everybody out there, so keep an eye on it. Um, we'll see if there's any demand for it uh, or not. Um, Albert, what do you want to say, man? You got Metal and Beer Fest coming up. Um, any any other news from Decibel that you want to tell the people about? Uh, yeah, we got uh, Metal and Beer Fest Philly coming up at the Fillmore on April 14th and 15th. Suicidal Tendencies is going to play their uh, landmark debut album in full for its 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Got Black Dolly Murder, got I Hate God, got Gorgots, got a lot of fun stuff. Decibel Magazine Tour with uh, Dark Funeral, Cattle Decapitation, 200 Stab Wounds, and Black Braid kicks off, I believe it is May 11th, and it runs May through June. Um, got some, some actual, some Decibel Records releases coming up uh tomorrow morning at 9 30 something dropping so uh if you are so inclined tune into that but as you know magazines monthly 
Websites updated mostly daily when I have a moment. Um, and yeah, plenty of more crazy stuff on the way. Very good. Well, thanks for coming on, man. It's good to see you again. Um, good luck with the home renovations and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Go Phil. So. All right. All right guys. Peace. All right. And we got uh, five or 10 minutes here before Mitch comes on. Yeah. Um, what's on your mind? You want to rip somebody? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw it uh, the other night. After, during during the World Baseball Classic, not even at the end after the strikeout, um, Elliot Shore Parks from WIP put out a tweet that called Mike Trout the most overrated athlete of all time. This was before the strikeout even happened. Now, I I was just going to let it go, right? I was just going to say, you know what? Because we know what Elliot's whole mo is right i mean are you taking the bait here because you know people are going to yell at you they're going to say let them let them yell at me to take the bait because here's here's where i have a problem with this okay because it's not just we are a discerning fan base in this city right we we like to have discourse we like to have transparency and conversation and and even if it's you know on twitter sometimes it gets a little crazy but even you know when we have these programs like our podcasts we like to talk about it right and and say you know what if you want to if you want to have a crazy ass opinion you can have a crazy ass opinion but back it up a little bit tell us why you have that opinion so i was just going to let it go i figured you know what it was just a tweet it was kind of in the moment right let it let it go but then he goes on the radio yesterday, right? And he's on with with um, uh, Joe Giulio and, and and Hugh Douglas, and he decides to double down basically on it. And his so here's a couple here's a couple of things that that he said. Um, he said, "What other athlete that we consider the best to play their sport has accomplished as little as Mike Trout? Every great athlete we expect to win. We expect to be in." be great in big moments we expect to be the ones that carry their teams that step uh that's then step up when it matters mike trout has no signature career moment he has three mvps that frankly don't matter in the history of baseball the idea that he's an all-time great player he's not like how can first of all how can you say that right there are 34 players who've won multiple mvp awards and nine of them have never won anything right so is barry bonds not a great player you know, is is um, uh, uh, you know Ted Williams not a great player? Ernie Banks not a great player? Uh, Frank Thomas, Robin Yount, Dale Murphy. I mean, these are all great players in the sport, and they've never won anything either. And you could go to other sports. You could look at um, you know Charles Barkley. Was Charles Barkley not a great player? Was Dan Marino not a great player? Um, you know, Ty. I mean, go back to baseball. Ty Cobb was he not a great player? I mean, there's great players who've never won championships. And sometimes it's because, guess what? Individuals do not win by themselves in team sports. Now, can they elevate? Can they help their team once they get to that point? Certainly they can. But to sit there and to, and to knock this guy, and, if, and you know, I could go through all his statistics. His statistics are through the roof. He's already an 82-war player through 12 seasons. He's only 30, going to be 30, he's entering his 31, age 31 season. So he's got at least a decade left to go. He's going to be one of the top all-time players when all is said and done with his statistics. But the Angels have frigging sucked. 
sucked the almost the entirety of his career. He had one playoff series, and yeah, he was not good in that series, although he did hit a home run, and he was on base four times, uh, three walks. But he and it was a three game series. So I mean, it, you're going to sit there and hold it against the guy for three games in 2014 to say that he's not a great player. I mean, that's that's the the, the the crux of this is that you really don't know a damn thing about the sport, and you're throwing these ridiculous statements out there to try and sway public opinion a or b make it all about yourself, which is not what this should be what we should be doing, and it's why talk radio it's why television is struggling sports talk and television sports talk and radio is struggling because nobody gives a shit to hear that anymore nobody cares about you as a person elliot nobody cares about skip bayless as a person the fact that they want to be the bad guy you want to turn heel go right ahead if that's what if that's what gets you off go right ahead go right ahead pal if that's what you want to do but to, but don't sit there and put bullshit out i mean that's total ridiculousness and it's i'm not trying to defend mike trout because he's a local guy right it doesn't matter you could say this about any player with statistics like his from anywhere in the country and i would defend that player too because it's all about team and you sit there and say he's not even the best player on his own team well guess what in the last five years at shohei otani who is a great player as well has been a member of the angels you know what they haven't won with both of them performing at that level and if craig i i I sent you over a tweet here's the thing Tungsten Arm O'Doyle, you know this, you know about this tweet, right, Kev? Okay, uh, if, if you could put it up. This was from a couple years ago. Uh, every time I see an Angels highlight, it's like Mike Trout hit three home runs and raised his average to 528, while Shohei Itani did something uh, that hasn't been done since Tungsten Arm O'Doyle of the 1921 Akron Groomsman as the Tigers defeated the Angels 8-3. to And it's been like this thing that's been, you know, kind of taken off a life of its own. But it's the truth. Those two players carry this team game in game out are the best players on that team are fantastic do everything that they possibly can and the rest of the team just sucks and the angels finish under 500 they haven't had a winning season since 2015 they would finish on average 20 to 30 20 to 25 games out of the division every year there are no big games for them to play in but not because mike of mike trout not because of shohei otani because the rest of the team stinks and you need to have good players elsewhere. Yes, great players will step up in great moments. And if you want to sit there and say he struck out against his own teammate who he's, A, never faced, right, and B, in March, okay, um, if you want to sit there and say that that's a thing, oh, look, Trout doesn't hit a home run to tie the game. Okay, all right, you want to look at one at bat there, you want to go three games in 2014, and that discredits him. That's a very, very weak argument from a person who knows zero about the sport they're talking about. So he has on his Twitter account, a ba- even a bad take is better than no take at all. <laughs> and I firmly disagree with that because not only does it destroy your own credibility to have a bad take, but it makes it so that everyone else who does something similar to the job that you do, especially in a local environment, considering he's not a national guy, right? It makes everything that we do in this town in Philadelphia to talk about sports and to present information about sports, it hurts us when you have that bad take. So the best thing to do when you don't know what the hell you're talking about is to shut the hell up. 
Thank well, you. Well, it's probably another, my response is probably good for another podcast at another time. You know, I would say that the larger culture at sports radio is like, is it going to be more of the current guy running the show or is there some residual leftover from the former program director? And I'm curious to see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I'm not anti-take at all if there's something to back it up right. you know like if joe Giulio is going to come out and say hey maybe it's better for the eagles if uh jason kelsey walks well in a vacuum that sounds stupid but then if you want to go ahead and say well then you got to stash his second round draft pick for a second year and you look at the cap implication that's fine yeah you know but i think when things are done with uh it, it's not the the commentary itself it's whether it's genuine or not it's the motivation behind it right, right. so i think that's kind of the Exactly. With all that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that you're right. I mean, look, you don't have to agree with somebody's take. You can have a unpopular opinion. Yeah. But as long as you have something to back up that unpopular opinion, I'm cool with it. I don't have to agree with you, but I'm okay with you having that opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. You can yeah. say, yeah, I learned at a very young age. You want to have whatever opinion? It's fine. Just back it up, you know? And, and as long as the ecosystem is fresh and we're not um, infusing it with toxicity you know right. for lack of a better word then we can all uh coexist yes yeah, right is that a very peaceful that's, that's a way very nice way of putting it it's probably okay. a lot better than i did okay very good well um with without further ado let's get to our second guest <laughs> of the uh the program joining us from the uh philadelphia wings it's forward mitch jones who's on absolute fire right now mitch what's going on man welcome aboard how you doing fellas thanks for having me Good, good. Glad, yeah. glad you don't have to deal with that kind of crazy, uh, crazy talk about lacrosse, right? Yeah. Are there hot takes in the NLL world? Uh, there's starting to be more and more. I'll say that. I think, uh, I mean, I appreciate the takes. They're always funny to uh, read some of them. I mean, as a player, you can tell some of them are a little bit uninformed. But uh, for the most part, they do a pretty good job. I'm uh, I'm for the takes for the most part. <laughs> well, I guess that would help. I mean, you could take the NLL could take as much talk and as much publicity as 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 possible. I'm sure. Um, let me give uh, everybody the kind of the the cliffs notes right here. So Mitch came over to Philly in a trade from Vancouver a couple months ago, end of January, early February. Um, has a ton of goals and assists, and has not skipped a beat since since coming over. Uh, from BC, the Wings are right on the edge of a playoff spot right now. Five games left. The next two are at home against a couple of teams that are right above them in the standings. I'll get into all that, Mitch, but let me just back it up and do this chronologically here because you got to take us through the the trade and how it went down and kind of what your reaction was was to it when that happened. Yeah, I've been in this league for I think ten years now. It's the first time I've been traded uh, mid season, so that was a Bit of a learning curve and kind of whirlwind of emotions, but I think once I uh, settled in Philly and met the guys and, and learned what this team's all about and, and how passionate the fans are and everything down the line, um, and now we're kind of in the midst of a, of a playoff battle, it's been a really, really refreshing for me and uh, really fun to be a part of. Is it, um, I think like our stereotypical, like we don't really understand necessarily what it's like, uh, the, the moment of being trapped. I guess we have this picture of like, you're sitting on your couch watching, uh, you know, Hulu or something. You're playing PlayStation. You get a phone call, and it's like, oh, I'm going to the other like end of the continent now. I mean, how how did that play out in this instance, and what was like the the 24 hours around that like? I mean, you pretty much nailed it. I'll give a quick backstory. Like, Vancouver's my hometown. Um, I think it was in 2018. I kind of asked to be traded there and go home and be be around my family and friends. And I had spent five years there. We we didn't have a whole lot of success. Uh, we started the year one and six. Um, that morning, it was a Tuesday morning. I kind of got the rumors were swir- swirling. I had a few people who I trusted say, "Hey, I'm pretty sure you're getting moved." I uh, called my old man. I said, "Hey, what what do you think? Should I say something or just sit there and wait?" And while I was on the phone with him, I got a call from my general manager. 
So I was like, hey, I guess I guess that's our answer right there. So I answered the phone. <laughs> hey, you're going to Philadelphia. Uh, it was early. It was like nine in the morning. I was kind of working on my computer. I think I was sitting in bed, actually. Uh, so I kind of just took the information, sat there for a bit, digested it, and then the rest uh, went from there. <laughs> just got it. Just now, and I think one thing, and I've I've spent my career as a writer, Mitch, um, talking, you know, mostly covering hockey, do a little bit of baseball now. But I mean, this happens a lot in the NHL where guys get, you know, get traded, you know, spur of the moment. Um, it, can you talk a little bit about the challenges, like outside of sports, right? Outside of the actual game that you're playing of having to just basically uproot your life and, and move across the country. Now, granted, this might be, who knows if this is a short-term, long-term, whatever situation for you personally, but there is, there are some like logistical challenges, right? That really, that fans don't really think about or, or know about that you guys have to endure all the while. It's like, okay, now get out there and practice and play on top of it. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, fans care about, about the games and what's going on. And I don't blame them. I'm a fan of other sports as well. That's what I care about. But like you said, just the logistical stuff. Like I, that's my hometown. I've been there for five years. I got a permanent place there. Um, I'm, I'm Googling Philadelphia, <laughs> kind of learn about the city, learn about how, how the, what the flight routes are and all that stuff. So yeah, definitely some challenges. The lacrosse is the easy part. Being able to step on the floor with a group of guys here has, has definitely been the easiest of, of everything. Um, I spent the last month in Philadelphia. So kind of a temporary Philadelphia resident here and, and honestly not sure what, uh, what the full plans are for the next couple months. Um, hopefully around for a little bit longer in the playoffs but yeah the, that stuff and then the interesting thing about lacrosse too which you don't find in nhl and mlb is is we got other jobs right a lot of us are working other jobs and, and doing other things during the week so that's uh it's been a challenge to kind of figure out how i can still do that and and what what works best for me but it's been fun and refreshing for me at the same time and uh we'll have it either way did you have um, like an Im- impression of, of what Philadelphia was or, or what the wings were or playing at the Wells Fargo Center before you came here? And, and if so, did it uh, did it match up when you when you got here and you started to play here? Yeah, it's definitely a match. I had some limited experience. I've played as a road uh, as a road team here a couple of times. Um, the one week I came here and I got to see uh, the Celtics in town against the 76ers. So I kind of yeah. got to see that scene. Um, I mean, I'm a huge I've, sports is my life and has been for a long time. I played a lot of hockey. Um, and obviously lacrosse and, and follow the NBA pretty closly. So, yeah, the Philly sports scene and Philly sports fans have, have definitely lived up to, to the expectations, and uh, it's a very fun spot to be. You've got um, 19 goals, 37 assists since coming over. Was the Albany game your first game on the 4th? I think, uh, yeah, that sounds right, yeah. Albany. Yeah, okay, because there was a two-week gap there and then the Buffalo game. Um, yeah. yeah, so so you guys are kind of right on the fringe of a playoff spot right now. You've got two at home, and then it's kind of a weird schedule because you play the last three on the road. Um, but the two teams who are kind of right above you are on the schedule coming up next. I mean, is it is it would it be correct to think that this is – these next two are going to be maybe a referendum of sorts, for lack of better words, on, on whether the Wings are going to the playoffs or not? Yeah, for sure. Our last, I think our last three game stretch, we dropped a couple of teams below us and, and we kind of gathered and said, hey, listen, like our plan, that we didn't want that to happen, but it happened and our playoffs start now. There's no question about that. So starting with, I mean, another thing for me personally is like this game this weekend, it's the biggest game that I've played since 2016, I think. Like I haven't played very many playoff games with Vancouver and I, I consider this a playoff game. So I'm getting butterflies on a Tuesday and Wednesday already about this game. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's Halifax at home um, coming up this Saturday. So just um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mitch, but I think because there's eight teams in the East and there's seven in the West, it's the the playoffs at the top four. 
from the East, the top three in the West, and then it's like the fourth place in the West versus fifth place in the East. Whoever's got the best yeah, record so between those guys. Yeah. It's almost like we're almost in two different playoff races. If we can come out ahead of Halifax, we're automatically in. If yeah. by chance we don't get that one, then we're still kind of in the fight with the, with the fourth place West team. Um, so it's in our own hands, but there's a, a couple things to uh, kind of watch down the stretch. Yeah, it's Halifax, then Rochester. So Rochester's sitting nine and four right now. Halifax is six and seven. You guys are six and seven. And then on, on the, the Western side of it, the Colorado Mammoth are six and six right now. So if it came down to you guys being in fifth place, you'd be going neck and neck with them yeah. for that, that final spot. Um, I, you know, it's weird because I don't um, – I feel like when I was talking to Coach Day, um, he he was on um, – he did something with the site last year. And I feel like it's the same thing with – obviously, you're new to the Wings, but I feel like I'm watching the same season every year because I always – I feel like there's so many close games. There's so many one-goal games, two-goal games, and whatnot. I think the last four that you guys played, three of them have been, have been one-goal games. And I'm just wondering, number one, what, why do you think these games end up being so close? And um, is that kind of the story of the, of the year so far, is try, trying to pull these out late in the fourth? Yeah, it's kind of a story of the NLL. It, it's definitely uh, any given Saturday or Friday or Sunday, whatever day we're playing type of league, um, especially with guys. Like, we don't see each other all week. We get to practice once a week together. We come in all hyped up. But you, sometimes you – a lot of times you play, and then we get these bye weeks. Sometimes you don't. You play once in three weeks. So, guys, are it, it's kind of an up-and-down league. When you win one, you, you're on top of the world. And when you lose one, you, you got a week to think about it and feeling down. So, I think it, that's just the type of league it is. And – teams that can kind of find that consistency um definitely do the best and i think we're we're on that verge like you said we we they traded for me they we just brought in on the deadline another uh very very solid defender um so we're kind of we're looking to make that push that playoff push and kind of get to that top echelon you, you had mentioned that um obviously you know, i guess you had to play hockey growing up in the vancouver area right i mean it's an automatic right um but you mentioned that you had a little bit of of, of hockey background i was just wondering if uh there were any guys that uh, that you know that were part of your group growing up or whatever that have gone on to have success at the NHL level. I uh, that you're still friends with, really. I grew up playing with Brendan Gallagher. Okay, was, I made mine for a while. Uh, I played with Evander Kane as well. Okay, uh, a handful of other Vancouver guys, kind of from that area. Um, I still like watching NHL. Cause I played college hockey. I played Division One college hockey. So almost every game I step into, nice. I see a guy who I've kind of played against. Maybe not that I'm friends with, but. Hey, I remember that guy dominating me in school or whatever it might be. But uh, so, yeah, I still follow the NHL. It's kind of cool to see all those guys that I competed with uh, still still playing and succeeding in the league. Not that not that they're an exciting team right now, but I was wondering since you've come to Philly, if you've had a chance to pop over and watch the Flyers play in any I've games. Seen, uh, yeah, I've seen one game. I'm, I'm going to go on th- uh, tonight, actually. I'm going tonight to watch the game. Uh, okay. So excited to do that. And, uh, yeah, I've. I've come from Vancouver, which also hasn't had that much success. So I'm, used, <laughs> I'm used to watching uh, the basement dwellers in the NHL. I was in Buffalo before that when they were uh, right in the basement. So maybe one day I'll, I'll get to follow a playoff NHL team. But we'll see. Is this like the Mitch Jones curse or something? Like wherever you currently happen to be playing in the NHL. I realized huh, something's going on. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, not, NHL success not really uh, matching up with uh, any kind of congruent uh, thoughts here, I guess. Um Mitch, real quick, can you can you explain like for for American American audience why or how lacrosse became so popular in Canada and why it has has sticking power up there? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll try and put it in a nutshell. Like the American lacrosse scene and Canadian lacrosse scene are very different. Like I, like you guys said, I grew up playing hockey in the summer off season, or that's the cross season. We 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 play a game indoors, and and it's a just very easy. You play hockey in the winters, lacrosse in the summers. Um, a lot a lot of kids do that in the states, uh, especially on the East Coast. It's more of a field lacrosse scene. It's more of the college and the winter season. So there, you don't get as many guys who are playing hockey on lacrosse. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense over here. So that's how that's how I got started. You, you play hockey in the winters. In the summers, you pick up your lacrosse stick, dice all gets taken out of the arenas, and you go in there and you start throwing the ball around. So it's pretty simple that way. Um, I also had my parents or my dad who played a lot of lacrosse, so that was an easy transition. And, and my older brother beat up on me in the backyard. So that's, that's kind of how I got started. Got two more for you. Um, British Columbia is on my bucket list, um, as are many things. If I do uh, happen to – the most exotic place that I've traveled, I think, in the last couple of years having young children has probably been South Jersey. Um, I, don't <laughs> think New, I don't think New Jersey really compares too much to the Vancouver. Uh, yeah, not, no, not at all. <laughs> but uh, what, what's, what's, what's the, if I do make it out there, what do I have to do and see? Man, Vancouver is just such a cool town. You got your downtown core. It's not a huge downtown, but it's it's a it's a big enough city. You got the downtown vibes. You can see the mountains right from the downtown. You can go skiing. There, there's literally days in the spring where you can ski in the morning and then go take your boat out on the ocean or on the river uh, in the afternoon. So it's 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 a pretty unique place in that sense. Um, I played a lot of junior hockey and lacrosse. We used to import guys from Ontario, and we take the ferry over. So all the BC guys are like, we think it's boring. And they take the ferry over there, their eyes peeled the whole time. They're up on the balcony just looking at they can't believe there's waters and mountain and run a boat. Yeah, yeah like you that. guys are used to it, right? I remember when I went out to the West Coast like the first time or not even the West Coast, but I was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I went to college in West Virginia and we're like it was like the mountain state or whatever, right? I'm like looking at the Rockies like over to the left of me. I'm like, Okay, these are real mountains over here. <laughs> this is like what we have in West Virginia were hills, you know, they yeah. were like hand hills, you know. I mean the scenery is just amazing. Yeah. So that's I'd say the scenery is, is really what makes it. And then like anything, there's the food scene and the sports scene and all that. But yeah, the scenery is really what kind of makes it what it is. I, I I've got to be honest, in my travels, Western Canada has been like the hidden gem of anywhere I've ever gone with with you know sports, even some places that don't have actual sports teams, but you happen to be out there so you get an opportunity to go some places. Yeah, yeah. Um, just awesome. Just awesome stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the I Western wanna... Canada, by the way, Anthony, the Flyers always do that Western Canada road swing like at the very beginning of the year. Yeah. And they play Edmonton at ten thirty at night. They play Calgary at ten thirty at night. No, nobody actually sees the Philly Vancouver game because we're all asleep. Being the West Coast, I like the the sports. They're done a little earlier, but you get you get off work. You got a game at four o'clock. You got your Eastern game started. I kind of like that. And football Sundays, you wake up. You got a ten o'clock slate ready to go. You don't have to wait any longer. I've, I've, I mean, it's something I'm used to. But I, whenever I come to the East, I wake up on Sunday. I'm like, what do I got to do all day? I got to wait till one o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's weird. It's very weird, right? Yeah. And, you know, we always get our hopes up, and then the Flyers perform well on that Western Canada road swing, and then it kind of falls apart from there. But um, last one for you. I'll give you a uh, – if I do a fill-in-the-blanks question here. Um, if the Philadelphia Wings are going to make the playoffs, we need to do blank over these last five games. We need to, I think, just consistency. We, we have all the pieces. We've got a very veteran team. We've got guys who've won multiple championships on our team, who've, who've been around the league, who know what it takes. We've got a great goaltender. Um, it's just consistency and, and staying healthy, and I think uh, that's what it's going to come down to. 
we got our two last, these two home games, our two last home games are where it's going to start. I think um, we're hoping to have a great crowd out there. I think we got the first night's like an emo night with some bands and uh, <laughs> artists performing. I'm interested to see what that one looks like. I, I've seen a lot of things around the NLL, but never an emo night. And then uh, the one next week is fan appreciation night where I know they're giving away a bunch of prizes, but a bunch of very good prizes. And we hope to have some great crowds cheering us on and, and get those two wins at home. Are you an emo fan yourself? Uh, I'm going to be this weekend. I, I've never really gone down the emo road, but uh, yeah, I'm open. I'm pretty open guy. I'm open to anything. Maybe I'll get some, I don't know. How do you, what's the first step in becoming emo? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't know. I just, I learned a couple weeks ago, some some magazine did like a top 100 emo bands or something like that. I always thought of like, like dashboard confessional as being, yeah. emo, and then I see them labeling like uh, Jimmy Eat World uh, as emo. I'm like, I don't, I guess I never really thought of them as, being emo, I, can, I can say a border like is Blink One Eight Two a borderline emo band? They may have put them on the list. I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I always thought of them as being like pop punk. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> <Blurry> <laughs> lines. Um, Mitch Jones, everybody from the Philadelphia Wings. Five games left. They got Halifax at home, Rochester at home, then away to Toronto, Albany, and Rochester. The next two are really kind of the make or break in terms of uh, making the postseason or not. Mitch, thanks for your time, man, and uh, good luck. Thanks, guys. Thanks cool. Appreciate it. Cool, cool. Yeah, we shall see. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know how much people pay attention to the wings on here, but they always seem to be like, like, like right there. I swear, every time I like just keep an eye on the scores or the schedule or whatever, it's like nine to eight, 13 to 12, 11 to 10. Like it is that they're, they're like a couple margins away from being like really, really good or, or struggling, you know? It's, it's so fascinating to me because when I was younger, Growing up, the Wings were the preeminent lacrosse team in the in the nation, right? For box lacrosse, indoor lacrosse, nobody. I mean, the Wings were the best team, and if the, yeah. at the Spectrum, they used to have banners like just hanging, like left, yeah. right, and center. I mean, that's what they were. Um, and, and then, of course, it went away for a little while, and they, you know, now they've been back, and you know, there is a good following there. Um, but at the same time. You know, it's, they've just been kind of, you know, on the precipice, kind of trying yeah. to get back to what they once yeah. were. They're like they're like they're like kind of right there. Yeah, it would be really cool to have them get there, to get over that hump and get back to it. Because I'll tell you, there used to be some great environments down there with the wings. They did. They did. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think yeah. that if you yeah. put them in the playoffs, and I think people will go to those games. I think, I, to, yeah. I think I've I think I've told this story before on the show. I, I or maybe I haven't, but um I remember when Bill Berge's son, Jake Berge, Jake played Berge, for yep. the wings. Bill, of course, a you know, popular Eagles player from back in the day. Was he a linebacker? Linebacker, middle linebacker. linebacker. Yeah, back in the, the 80 team that went to and the Super Bowl. We had a box. So I went there with my dad and a couple of my uncles were there and they saw Bill Berge standing there or whatever, watching his son. And they kept asking him questions about like the Eagles and stuff like that. Bill Berge didn't give a flying fucking half about the Eagles. He just wanted to talk. He'd answer every Eagles question with a response about the wings. Yeah. So they'd say, what about that game you played against like San Francisco? And be like, yeah, that was great, but... You know, we're really looking for uh, to win some more face-offs here today, and I'm watching Jake play. I mean, he was just like, yeah, he was watching his son play. But, I mean, I remember that place had like, you know, 14,000, 15,000 people in it, and it was like like legitimate, like real fans. You know, like lacrosse, we didn't have lacrosse at Boyertown until probably like I was in 11th or 12th grade, and mm-hmm. we lost like half of like everybody who was running track or playing tennis, or we did. They all just went to join the lacrosse team, you know. So it's like yeah. always, always kind of been there, you know. Yeah, that's cool. And who now did you say? Who did you say their five games are again? I know you mentioned uh, Halifax and Rochester, the two home games. Then what, what do they do after that? 
Toronto, Albany, Rochester. Okay, so Rod, the really the two games against Rochester, Rochester are, 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 are yeah, yeah, are, yeah. I mean, look, Halifax is big, right? Because it's top four get in. Yeah, on, on the, the east. Yeah. On, yeah, in the east, yeah. right? So, I mean, obviously they're they're tied with Halifax currently for fourth place, and Albany stinks, so they should beat them. Toronto's really good, and Rochester's pretty solid. So then those mm-hmm. two games against Rochester are really going to be the ones that you know that make or, make or break this this run for them to get, to get in. But hopefully, hopefully they do get in because that would be a lot of fun to have that back at the Wells Fargo Center again. Two quick thoughts before we wrap it up here. Um, yeah. Number one, just on the Sixers, very quick to say that we talked about all the teams. This is this weekend is going to make or break the MVP race. Uh, Embiid's got calf tightness; they're calling it. Denver plays Milwaukee at home on Saturday night. Then they play mm-hmm. Philly at home on Monday night. So we get Jokic versus Giannis Saturday. We get Jokic versus Embiid on Monday. And as you well know, as a member of the media, it's like you, these like impressionable, like late game kind of moments mm-hmm. are, the, are the thing that matters more than Vorp or Raptor or any other bullshit that anybody wants to talk about over there. If they see Joel Embiid put 40 on Jokic on Monday, it's done. It's done. Mm-hmm. That's it. You can say whatever you want about media bias or like subconscious or conscious or whatever. It's there. Right. Impressionable moment with the story you can tell. Hey, he hit another dagger over him. That's it. Yeah, he's and it sounds like he's going to. You know, he is going to. Even though he's got this calf thing, he's going to play mm-hmm. against the Warriors. Um, so that yeah. seems like it's a. It's it's a. It's would not you sit as him? Would you would you play him Friday and go and stay and sit him Saturday? Before the game, because he needs the game. Because the other thing is, he needs the games too. Right, to be able to keep up with Jokic Look, and, have it, and not have the availability. Thing. You're asking the wrong person because I'm I'm I hate the notion of sitting load guys management. out, yeah. right? And load yeah. management, I don't like it a little bit. Um, but if you are a load management team, could I see you saying, "Yeah, we'll play him Friday, sit him Saturday, play him Monday"? I I, I guess I can see that being the path. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I would. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I mean, if that's how they're going to manage it, I I don't I wouldn't be surprised. Um, what's at the forefront of your mind with the Eagles right now? You know what? I, 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 am a little surprised that everybody thinks it's been such a really good off season. I think it's been just an okay off season. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah, they're running it back with some guys and whatever. That's fine. And, you know, I think getting Bradbury and keep bringing Bradbury back was huge. I think that was a really big deal. Slay is what it is. I mean, okay, fine. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Fletcher Cox coming back or, or you know, Brandon Graham. I guess he's just going to be a backup. That's okay. Um, but, I mean, they didn't really do much of anything else. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Rashad Penny. I mean, he, I think he's a really good running back, but he's always hurt. I mean, he's always mm-hmm. hurt, right? And so, I, I don't know. Can he stay healthy? If he stay healthy, it's a good signing. But I think that's a little bit of a risky risky play and beyond that what really have they done so like i like i think that there's going to be more that they're going to do and i think that you know the team ultimately will be a good team again i just don't see the re- i mean every, i keep seeing everybody talking or hearing everybody talking and seeing stories saying oh yeah they've had a really good off season so far and i'm like what what have they done i don't know to <laughs> like, see it either i mean they kept both corners but i didn't have uh you know Darius Slay was not supposed to be a risk to walk in the first place. I mean, I right. went into it thinking like Hargrave, CJ, GJ, Bradbury were their top three defensive free agents. If they could pull two of them back, yeah, I would have been happy with that. Nobody would should have been naive to think that like all three of them were coming back. Of course not. Right. And you say whatever we want. I mean, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson does not seem to be the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a reason that the Saints got rid of him in the first place. The guy mm-hmm. is like put himself on the Mount Rushmore of tweeters and deleters, right? More than one thing can be true. He's a damn good player. 
Right. right? Exactly. So I so I think when you look at the fact, like, oh, they kept both corners, but they lost both safeties. They lost both linebackers. Mm-hmm. They lost their best interior defensive linemen. So I, I you know, I, I'm Nicholas Morrow. Okay. Um, Rashad Penny. Okay. Uh, you know, I know these things can happen late in the season. I'm not going to like, yeah, you know, get pissed off about the Eagles on March 23rd. But I'm with you, man. I don't think it's. I think it's been meh so far. Yeah, I agree. That's that's exactly been my reaction so far. And I know, you know, there's a couple of you know the draft Knicks have, have come out with some of their mocks, and you know, you got two different guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know Hargrave <laughs> going to the 49ers, right? Um, but the, there's a, the two big names so far have um, Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay. They both say that the Eagles might go Bijan Robinson with that tenth pick. I would be, I would be stunned, man. I, I would be totally floored. Like if they took him at thirty, okay. Yeah, if he was there at thirty, and you took okay, fine. I'd be floored if they took him at ten. Now, yeah. maybe they're being told something, and maybe the you know Howie would consider trading back, getting some additional assets, and maybe you take him at like eighteen, nineteen. But I'd be floored if he if he is their pick at number ten. I, I'm on the I'm, I literally am passed out on my back because I cannot believe that that would be where Howie would go with the tenth overall pick in the draft. Did you see what I put up on the site a couple hours ago about that? No, I, I haven't. I've not. Okay, yet. okay. so, so this yeah. So trivia question: um, yeah. Who's the last first round running back that the Eagles have taken? First round? Yeah. Oh my God, it's been a while. Um, I, wow, I'd have to I'd have to think about it because like it wasn't. It certainly wasn't Westbrook. He was a third rounder. I'll give you um, a clue. I was two years old at the time. Wow, that's going way way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Haddocks. Keith Byers. Uh, Keith ba- oh Keith Byers yeah I forgot about Keith Byers yeah 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 Keith 1986 Byers. they haven't taken a first round running back since 1986 you're, that, you're too young man I know. <laughs> I know. I know. and even then they've only had four second round running backs since 1986 which is crazy yeah, yeah no, um, I don't I just don't see it I don't see it but I don't either I would be I would be absolutely stunned I mean if they don't I, I'm just I'm thinking they go trenches on both sides. Or they and trade what, back out of, or they trade back out of ten, and why not? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, look, that formula has been what's worked, yeah. right? For for so long with this team, yeah. is you have good depth on both offense and defensive line. Why would you? Why would you get away from it, especially in a draft where those players might be there? I mean, look, mm-hmm. who knows where what's going to happen with Jalen Carter? Who knows? I, I think he'll be yeah. gone before ten. I really yeah. do. But if he falls to ten, I mean, do you not take him? You almost have to. You kind of have to, and you that should be accompanied to. with a statement for the younger part of the fan base who cares. I don't want to say like we don't care, but I think for people who are more sensitive to that, I tr- I would just say this on the Jalen Carter thing real quick. I trust the Eagles when it comes to judgment of character, yeah, and whatever, because they've given us the benefit of the doubt over the past ten or so seasons. That the only issue they've really had is Nigel Bradham, Josh Huff, yeah. Daryl Worley, who's here for five seconds, but there really has not been a – they haven't had a big controversial thing like that since Vic. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and even that, yeah. I think that they they handled it really, really well. And that was diff- and that was a little different, too, with the caveat yeah. of the guy went to jail. Right. right. Right? So it wasn't like he was, like, escaping something or, like, allegations or whatever. Like, shit happened. He, you know, paid yeah. the price for it, right? But they, I guess the point I'm trying to say is they don't – you know, they, they just don't – they they do a good job of doing their due diligence when it comes to that stuff. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, I mean, if that if, and if he doesn't fall and you're at 10, 
I, I have zero problem if they draft Skaronsky out of Northwestern as offensive lineman. I don't either. And look, the, the optics of it are going to be a little weird first right. to believe that, like, you can't put Jordan Maialata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Cam Jurgens, Skaronsky, and Lane Johnson on the field at the same time, right? Right. So somebody's going to have to sit. And if that's the second year of Cam Jurgens sitting as a second round pick, uh, you know, optically, it's not going to look palatable. But, you know, Andre Dillard was a first round pick who sat for a. I mean, even if you sit Skaronsky. Yeah. Because ultimately you're sitting there saying, hey, come in, learn our system. You're going to get worked up by the best offensive line coach in football. Right? I mean, there's no question about that. Even if you play just a handful of snaps here and there, whatever. But you know this is probably it for Kelsey this year. This is probably his last year. Yeah. Then you move Juergens to center and you have Skaronsky with a year of coaching under his belt to jump in at guard. Like, I, I don't think that's a problem. I think that that's a good way of handling it if you if you want to draft looking a year out as kind of a lot of what the they did last year when you look about it davis played but not a lot right and i know he had a little bit of an injury but okay fine jurgens didn't play nicobe dean barely played but all three of them are going to be here in their second year kind of expected to contribute right yeah i can't be mad about that because i've i'm used to it by now right right? If, if i was not if i didn't understand the eagles and i hadn't you know, known their patterns and what they typically do, then I'd be like, why are you drafting this guy at X? But I know that they like to get the best player available and not filling positions of need. You know, maybe we come back to something or they put some Fugazi cockamamie bullshit together at safety, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, how he's done enough in the last year or two to earn himself, to re-earn himself. Is that a word? Re-earn? To once again earn himself the benefit of the doubt. Um that he'll put it together and put a competitor out on the field. You know? Yeah, I, I think that the, I think that that's right. So we'll we'll see. I mean, yes, but so far that it's been like you said, meh. But there's still time. We'll yeah. see how the off season, rest of the off season goes. We'll see a lot of baseball and uh, lacrosse talk on this one. We'll get it back to the Eagles next week with Kyle Pagan if he comes back from the bachelor party in one piece. And thanks for jumping on, man. Hey, anytime, my friend. Thanks to Albert Mudrian from Decibel. Thanks to Mitch Jones from Philadelphia Wings. Thank you to the viewer and the listener, and we'll see you again next time.